all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. I'm David. I'm Rachel. And this is All Bad Things, 159th edition and third podiversary episode. Yes, we are recording this. It won't be quite released. It will not. Our podiversary fell between two episodes, but we are recording this on our third podiversary, which is July 17th. 2017. Yes, 7-17-17 <laughs> was our, or seventeen seven seventeen, depending on how you do dates. Depending on where you are in <laughs> yes. the world, yes. We do have international listeners, so that might be how some yes. of them know it. Random fact that I learned today, uh, Princess Beatrice of England, Okay. Uh, that is Fergie's and uh, possible pedophile Prince Andrew's uh, <laughs> oh, daughter. Oh, that guy, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, she got it's official. Fergie's marriage has ended. I remember here. Didn't wasn't didn't she get divorced at some yes, point in the nineties? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yep. Um. So she got married today. Beatrice, Princess Beatrice, her daughter, okay. Fergie's daughter. Yes. Um. Not Fergie of the Black Eyed Peas. Oh damn it, Sarah Ferguson. Yes. Uh. And. So she got married today, and I looked up her Wikipedia, because I was like, I don't know much about Princess Beatrice. She was born at 8.18 p.m. on August 8th, 1988. Yeah, that was planned. <laughs> that was that was so planned. Yeah. Or they just lie and be like, like just for to make it cool, like we'll, we'll just put her in at this I time feel, on this date. I feel like it, it's something that people would definitely plan now. I don't know about, like, 32 years ago. I remember when there was the, uh, you know, the last of these years being 12, 12, 12. There were a lot of yes. people having, mm-hmm. or on 11, 11, 11, or 10, 10 all 10, that, 10. All that mm-hmm. stupid shit. Mm-hmm. And like, just, no. <laughs> Stop it. a construct anyway. It is. That, is. that is very true. So, for our oh. 159th mm-hmm. and third anniversary episode, mm-hmm. what are you drinking? Oh, I am drinking. What doth you be drinking? I doth be drinking a lovely rum and coke you made me. Yes, from? Delicious. Raleigh Rum Company. Oh, yes. The rum is from Raleigh Rum Company, and it's the uh, real sugar Coke, right? From yes, From the it bottle? Is. Mm-hmm. It's very good. And I am having my prickly pear. <laughs> Your celebratory. My <laughs> celebratory prickly pear, Michelob Ultra. <laughs> that's, where, that's where I've gotten these I just days. Love, <laughs> I just love how fancy shitty beer is getting. <laughs> They're getting it on Becoming all the fantastic. Yes. yes. Um, follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook at yes. All Bad Things Pod. Uh, join our Facebook group. Answer the goddamn question <laughs> and something at least semi seriously. The question is like something like, "What's one of your favorite disasters?" Someone responded recently with capitalism. I immediately ah, accepted ah, <laughs> their their request very, to join the group. Very clever. Mm-hmm. Actually, it hasn't been though. If you are, are a majority stockholder. Well, if you're part of the one percent, yeah. it's not a failure. It's, it's worked out pretty for well for else. you. <laughs> for the majority, yeah. vast majority. Um, and then, super fun, I got our first um, somebody literally just writing a whole bunch of extremely offensive, trying to be shocking shit. Email or tweet? No, no. Um, trying to join the group and oh, question. okay. Yeah, that was super fun. 
So they didn't get in, <laughs> just in case you didn't know. <laughs> just in case you were wondering. Yeah. So we're, as we could tell from the intro, yes. we are reverse bad thinging. Yes. It's, which, be, it's been a while since I've it has been. posted well, a bad thing. Well, I'm trying to remember it's, what the well, last one you did was, but who knows? It was, it was a while ago. Mm-hmm. Probably during um, tax season, which just ended. <laughs> right. During during the first the, tax the, season. Yes. During the, the first, official, unofficial, <laughs> yes. somewhat official again, maybe next the year. We'll see. tax season. Tax season. Yes. Um, I really hope it doesn't happen again next year. <laughs> yeah, I had to talk. Let's just uh, hope there is a next year at this point. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Oh, well. <laughs> that's, the, that's the end of that conversation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so for once, I think, or maybe the second time or third time, it's very often, very not often. Infrequent. Infrequent. <laughs> That you don't somehow find out what the topic yeah. is going to be. Either I mistakenly put it in the headline of the email or... Right. Because typically we print out our research to read. Um, and you'll... E- because my really our only printer is the one I have at work at my office. So you'll email it to me. But then a lot of times like the topic will show up in... Like, because Gmail will show you the first line of the email. Even if I have to remember to subject. put in a blank, yeah. blank page And then first. I'm there, like, copying and pasting with squinted eyes, trying not to, like, like to see what I'm doing, but not to read it. So it's And then true. something on the screen will mess up, or yes. now I have to look at it in yes. order to fix this. It, it always ends up seeming to be something, but you are reading off your phone today, so I did not have to do any of that. And I, the only things I know is a couple hints you gave, something mm-hmm. about a movie mm-hmm. and something about it being within the last 40 years. Do you have any guesses? Because this one, you might. Uh, a movie? Then again, you might Let's not. see, 40 years would be 1980. I know, that's crazy. 40 <laughs> years ago was 1980. Yes. This is my sixth decade of existence. Yeah! <laughs> wow. The seventies, eighties, nineties, thousands, tens, tens, two thousand twenties. Wow. That this means, is your fifth. This is my. F- oh, mm-hmm. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was born mid-decade, yes, not you even were. end decade. I was almost born exactly in the middle of the decade. Um, we did the Halloween m- movies. It was Halloween, right? Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. We mentioned Halloween. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the Friday the 13th movies is an all good thing, mm-hmm. so it wasn't that. Nope. Um, was it The Island of Dr. Moreau? No, no, no. Oh, okay, because no. we watched a thing on that, how bad that was. Yes. Um, this is probably one of the more famous stunt disasters Oh, in is this movie the one history. about a helicopter? It is. I'm not, I'm blanking on... On the movie. Yeah. This is The Twilight Zone, oh. the movie, Helicopter Crash. Okay. Is that so you have heard of this. this? This I have. Okay. Is that what we're going to have to call this episode? The Twilight Zone, the movie, Helicopter well, Crash? Well, yeah, because <laughs> The Twilight Zone, just by itself, would mean the show. You know what's pretty ironic? Mm-hmm. We just did our first helicopter crash. Well, this is what made me think of it. <laughs> okay. And also, uh-huh. now, because when I when we had our shutdown at work last year and I did a couple episodes at work because... To be clear, when you say shutdown at work, it's... They're, they literally shut down We're cleaning the equipment. To clean. and, it's, yeah. not, it's not the a plan shutdown. The plant is not shut down. Yeah, like no. the term is... We're just not now. up and running like we normally would be. Right, because they're doing maintenance. And so production has halted. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
So, sorry. You but were... around then, I was wanting to do this. Okay. Had it in my mind, and then it was just, I, I couldn't remember. I'm like, what what did I want to do? Uh-huh. And then when you brought up the helicopter crash, when we did that one a couple weeks ago, uh-huh. the... Um, Clutha. The Clutha. Mm-hmm. That happened in Scotland? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Glasgow. So when we did that, it kind of triggered this, and then I was watching like a video where just the Twilight Zone, the movie, got mentioned, uh-huh. and I was like, I was like, oh, that's it. Mm-hmm. I was like, that'd be a good episode to do for our podiversary because it is famous. Yeah, I'm sure some people have requested it. Maybe, uh, maybe not. I'm not getting into that just yet. No, <laughs> I, I, um, not to my recollection. No. Okay. Um, it is. I mean. I get that. I think it is, to an extent, relatively well-known, but not necessarily famous. I would say probably the most, this would be my opinion, and my opinion only, the most um, po- or famous, not popular, most famous disaster during a movie shoot is the death of Bruce Lee. No. Brandon Brandon Lee. Lee. <laughs> It's so famous, I couldn't even remember who it was. I w- it was his son, right? Yes. Okay, Brandon. One of his sons. During the during the crow. Mm-hmm. I, because that was a genuine accident. That was a genuine accident, yes. Um, but it was an actual shooting. It was, An yes. accidental shooting mm-hmm. during when a- someone was deliberately trying to shoot him. You know, it's like a... Well... But with a stunt gun, obviously, but... Fortunately, for statistics purposes, purposes that mm-hmm. incident only involved the death of one person. That is true. Uh-huh. The Twilight Zone, the movie, helicopter crash, mm-hmm. unfortunately, um, leads to the fate of three people. Leads to the fates? Yes, fates. So, there is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known <laughs> to man. It is, a, it is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the, the Twilight, Twilight Zone. So here's the thing. I very much enjoy the classic black and white Rod Steiger. They're on Netflix. I've, I've watched some yes, of them. Yes, yeah. the Twilight Zone. I've never seen the movie. Really? Yeah, that's correct. Whom narrated it? Whom was the Rod Steiger? We'll we'll get into that. Oh, you mean okay. you mean Rod Serling, not Rod Steiger. Who's Rod Steiger? Uh, he's an actor, but he's not, oh, okay. he's not, he's not, not Rod. One. Yeah, he's Rod not Rod Serling. Sir- Rod Serling. 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 <laughs> no, isn't that the the former owner of the Clippers? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Donald, Donald Sterling. <laughs> but in your mind, they probably all are, all are the same person. <laughs> you know, I'm terrible with keeping people straight yes rod serling rod serling yes with his little cigarette and his little mm-hmm. suit his tidy little suit um real quick because i feel like it's pertinent to this if you are like a twilight zony sort of fan listen to radio rental it is a very entertaining and extremely creepy and unsettling podcast so it's um Funny enough, it's hosted by Rain Wilson of The Office. Okay. Um, and you can really tell how much of the Dwight Schrute character on The Office was really kind of Rain Wilson. He wasn't being really himself. acting. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> um, he hosts it, but as a character. Um, and it's people telling, like in first person, narrating with dramatic effects behind them 
very similar to Unsolved Mysteries, I guess, in a way. Um, just weird or scary or creepy or is this paranormal? Like, uh, deja just weird vu, stories. blacking out. Or weird occurrences. Uh, uh-huh. Okay. And some of them are like shiver down your spine when you realize what they're saying happened to them. And it's pretty... Well, wait till you hear what happens to two of these people, unfortunately. Mm. So, on July 23rd, 1982, one of the most infamous stunt accidents in motion picture history took place. Veteran Hollywood actor Vic Morrow, the father of veteran Hollywood actress Jennifer Jason Leigh, along with two child actors, Renee Shin Chen and Micah Din Lei, were killed during an action sequence in which Morrow was carrying the two children away from a helicopter invasion in a scene depicting a battle during the Vietnam War. Oh, okay. I thought it was a... Okay. I, I, I guess I really don't know much about this, Krasha. I didn't know... I just knew of it happening and what happened to the people. I didn't know uh, the, the surrounding circumstances okay. until okay. I did the research on this. But uh, before we get back into the, the crash, because that is obviously the bummer part, I figured we'd start with the history of the Twilight mm-hmm. Zone itself. Absolutely. It's a great show. So, on October 2nd, 1959, mm-hmm. the Twilight Zone television series debuted on the CBS network yep. and had a five-season run that ended on June 19th, 1964, mm-hmm. airing a total of 156 episodes. Wow. We are on episode 159. We've oh. made it past the Twilight Zone. We're, <laughs> we're so much better. Run. <laughs> Cause we're better had, than new Twilight Zone. <laughs> they've had reboots of yes, the Twilight they have. Zone. Well, so. they have one right now, which we'll get into later. Oh, yes, uh, Jordan Peele mm-hmm. is involved in that one, yeah. Yes. Um, I was going to say something. Yes, oh, you were. No, the, so I watched, I used to borrow from the Miami-Dade Public Library system. Sure. Libraries VHS always have DVDs. Yeah. Oh, no, this well, was VHS. like 97. Okay. I was like 12 and watching The Twilight Zone Alfred Hitchcock, uh, our Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock presents. Um, I was a morbid child. I was a murderino from way back. You turned out just fine. Well, <laughs> <laughs> let's not get into that. <laughs> but I do remember because um, they they had them in these little collections, right? Like a four episodes on sure. one tape, and you watch it, you know. Um, but yeah, no, those some of them were meh. I mean, if they were pumping them out that fast. Oh like, yeah, there's. A, I didn't realize there were that many episodes. It, but so I have in a five season run. 159 episodes. That's, so that that's was a little over 30. Well, that's a regular it's 30, series. Yeah, it's actually a very ambitious 32 episodes. Yeah. Series. And it's yeah. it's the 50s. Television is different back then. But they were well produced. Yeah. Oh yeah. The time. Yeah. So to this day, the series remains a pillar of the science fiction genre and popular culture. Mm-hmm. The series was created by Rod Serling, mm-hmm. not, not Rod, Rod Steiger. <laughs> Or, or Donald not, Sterling. Not, not George Steinbrenner. <laughs> not Gertrude Stein. No. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. Who was also a producer, narrator, and screenwriter on the show. Yep. Serling was born in Syracuse, New York. Aww. On Christmas Day, 1924, and oh. passed away on June 28th, 1975, at the age of 50, oh, so not very old, no. in Rochester, New York. Oh, wow. So he, he was like away. my age doing this. No, uh, pretty much, yeah. Yep. He was like 34, 35, mm-hmm. something like that one. Twi- yeah, because he was born in 25, mm-hmm. and it premiered. 24. In- oh, okay, 24, and it premiered in 59. So yeah, yeah so he would have been 35. 
34? Or going on 35, mm-hmm. yeah. His career began as a radio broadcaster in 1946, following his time as a paratrooper in the 11th Airborne oh, Division wow. in World War II. Well, this is back at sure, every, everyone, everybody fights. Yeah, yeah. At his age, everyone did. Mm-hmm. He does have a good voice, so I can see him being... I was trying uh, to do his... Uh, I didn't even come close. Anyway. Well, it's just it's just that controlled... It's almost, like a, it's almost kind of like a purr. Yes, me. very smooth, very yes. controlled, very, and that's, I think that's the thing about the, like, that's a big part of the original Twilight Zone series, was this, like, smooth, controlled voice talking about something really unsettling. Yeah, talking about, I mean. And it was, like, and, keeping you and, calm, but that the, made it more unnerving. In the earliest days of television, mm-hmm. period. Like, mm-hmm. We came up with television. We were the first people to have shows and things like that, and. This is one of the earliest ones and still it's one of like the most influential. 10 years <clears throat> into TV being a pretty big thing. About that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, if I'm, am I totally mistaken that this was a Desilu production? That I don't know. Okay. So so back in the day, uh, Desilu, which was at one point owned, well, it was founded and then owned by Lucille Ball and Desi Oh, Ernest. okay. Um, produced some of the biggest TV shows of the late 50s and early 60s. Like, that's the thing that a lot of people don't know about, especially Desi Arnaz, is he was a massively talented producer. Like, and, hmm. and yeah, I didn't uh, know that either. A lot of very popular shows of the day were Desi Lu Productions. I feel like The Twilight Zone was. I'll put it out there. Okay. <laughs> I don't know for sure. I, I did not pick up on that at all. I'll look it up while you're... There you go. <laughs> Sorry. So, Serling first saw combat in the Philippines, and his experiences in the war would help shape his views on philosophy and humanity. Hmm. In 1950, Serling began work in television in Cincinnati, writing scripts for various programs. Oh, so he's a writer. Oh, well, mm-hmm. yeah, because he, he also wrote... producer, yeah, narrator, uh-huh. he did everything. In 1955, the national television program... The Kraft Television Theater. Kraft Television Theater. Broadcast a program based on one of his scripts. Serling mm-hmm. missed the live broadcast, thinking to himself it was just another script. He and his wife decided to go out on a date instead, and then when they returned home, they discovered their babysitter with a notepad full of names and phone numbers of calls to return from major television broadcast studios and film companies. The phone just started ringing, and it never really stopped. Quote mm. unquote. Recalled his wife Carol. Hmm. Okay. So here, Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse. So it was like a, well, not a variety show, but like, a, um, I guess that's maybe the, the best way to put it. The pilot of The Twilight Zone was part of that series. Oh, okay. It was all produced by Desilu. Interesting. In okay. fact, Desi Arnaz <clears throat> was technically the first host because he hosted the pilot. Interesting. Isn't okay. that interesting? Okay, sorry. Isn't that... Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> <clears throat> there we go. So now we have a little bit of background on the yeah. on the television series and on Rod Serling mm-hmm. himself. So now we're gonna fast forward to the year this incident takes place. Nineteen eighty two, is that yes. So we're gonna go over what what Hollywood was like in nineteen eighty two. Because it was a much, much different era oh, yes. than it is now. So this would have been thirty three years later. No, twenty three years later. 23 years later. After? At the beginning of the Twilight Zone. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes. Okay. Yes. By the time the the series begins in 1982 is a 23-year gap, so. So it's like 20 years after it went off the air-ish. Yeah. Yeah. By the time of Serling's death in 1975, 
His influence was felt mature, yeah. Mm-hmm, all over. Yeah, he was only fifty. Yeah. His influence was felt all over popular culture in America mm-hmm. and around the world. Mm-hmm. This was none more apparent than in the upcoming generation of Hollywood filmmakers. Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, among many others, credit Sterling with influence and influencing them to become not only writers but multifaceted storytellers involved in production, directing, editing, special effects, and marketing. So is he kind of the original director, writer, producer, sort of like he the might be one? Well, of... he you know he probably is. He's probably the first famous one. Maybe. I'm I'm sure a lot of people back then did all those jobs just because. Like there was nobody. Yeah, it uh-huh. wasn't um, the business of television and, right. and broadcasting wasn't as formatted then as it is now. I'm but, sure. Well, you know, it's funny is that I feel like today it's a lot more common for people to be multifaceted in that way because you can create your own vehicle mm-hmm. these days. Yeah, absolutely. You can create your own YouTube show or whatever absolutely. you want. But back then, if you didn't have massive amounts of Hollywood money behind you or the belief of a Hollywood producer behind you, you weren't going to be able to do anything because it was not as accessible. You had it was massively expensive. Only a few people had access to the technology. So. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And you and back back in this time, like in 1982, you had to be uber talented to make it as far as these guys made it like this this wasn't an accident there was a lot of barriers to entry until um technology caught up absolutely the masses sort of yeah so serling would also give spielberg his first big break Hmm. hiring him to direct the pilot for the television series night gallery in 1969 Uh. it would eventually be spielberg who would come up with the idea for a big screen version of the twilight zone by the year 1982, Spielberg's idea of a movie anthology version of the show would begin production. Four 30-minute short stories that were separate from each other but existed in the same universe, mm-hmm. along with an epilogue and prologue, would be directed by four of the most notable filmmakers at the time. Oh, that's interesting. So, like, essentially like a collection of Twilight Zone episodes, mm-hmm. but... Redone. Uh-huh. You know, modern filmmakers, modern actors, but interestingly, theater. With different directors. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of like the. Uh, I mean, the closest thing that I feel like is hap or has happened recent ish, is like the Robert Rodriguez mm-hmm. Tarantino, uh, the VHS features. anthology movies, horror movies. Uh, mm-hmm. Those were all like small segments mm-hmm. with different directors, mm-hmm. things like that too, different stories, but uh, all taking place in the same universe. Yeah. So. The project would include directors Steven Spielberg, okay. as so I have already mentioned. He did one of them? He did. Okay. Joe Dante, who was coming off directing the horror movie The Howling, which was a critical and box office success. I, okay. I have seen that movie. Any good? Uh, I, I remember it being good. Yeah. I mean, I probably haven't seen it since I was in high school. But. Okay. Uh, George Miller, an Australian director who was coming off the critical and commercial successes of Mad Max and Mad Max 2. Oh, wow. Okay. Known as Mad Max 2 is known as the Road Warrior in North America. Yeah. some strange reason. Oh, how funny. So that was an American-only title. That, mm-hmm. that's... N- North American. Okay, like, North American. Mm-hmm. That, that's pretty common, actually. Well, it, yeah, actually, actually it is. It's, for... it's common when we export films, too. Oftentimes, yes. the yes. name of the film changes. Well, because, especially in foreign languages, because just certain things don't Plus, mean I think, the same thing. I think The Road Warrior is a better title than Mad Max 2. Yeah, okay. Any, <laughs> any sequel with the word 2, or the, the number 2 after it, I always feel like can't be taken completely seriously. It just feels like... Like a break 2, Electric Boogaloo? <laughs> 
Well, or yeah, it just sounds it sounds like you're too lazy yeah, to come one. up with a title. <laughs> so we've got Spielberg, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Dante, okay. George Miller, and arguably just as big of a name at the time as Spielberg, mm. John Landis was also brought oh. in. Uh, into the project to direct a segment. What has he done? Because I know the name. Well, he's been lost in the shuffle over the past... He has not had a major hit since, like, 1995. I'll, I'll go over what? that later. Oh, okay. And, I, okay. and I'm about to go okay, into gotcha. his career. But, um, but yeah, like, your generation is probably, like, what your reaction just was. Like, John I've Landis. Like, of, I know I that know name. name, yeah. For people my age and a little older, we're like, oh, yeah, he was hot he's back big, in the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is he like a John Hughes, like very? I would say bigger. Seminal for his time. I would say bigger than John oh, okay. Hughes. Um, John Hughes was is still more of cultish. John Landis did like big movies the that everybody saw. Yes. Okay. Early Were blockbusters. Were they less, race, less racist and misogynistic than John Hughes movies? I'm sure some kid with blue hair can find all sorts of racism and misogyny misogyny in it if they want to, but I don't. <laughs> I don't remember it being that way. No. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All I have to say is 16 Candles is a shit it's, of film. It's hilarious, but anyway. It's not funny in the least bit. It's horrible. <clears throat> <laughs> I think we'll get a few comments on that one. We'll see what people say. So, all right, now I'm about to get into Landis's career. You will for sure hear of some of these okay. films. Okay. So, Landis had been coming off directing a string of box office successes by 1982. Okay. He first gained attention directing the Kentucky Fried Movie in 1977. I've, I've seen it. But I thought it yeah. was like a 90s movie. Mm, Why no. did I think? The, uh, the Kentucky Fried Movie, yes. Okay. Is also the first film written by the Zucker Brothers of Airplane and the Naked Gun oh, fame. Oh, okay. Well, here's the other thing, too. Wait till you hear all the people that these people are involved with in the movies that are coming out at this time. Okay. There's just, like, this is a bonkers time in Hollywood for mm. how much success like movies are having. I mean, every okay. year there's a new box office record and things like that. So, so yes, he did the Kentucky Fried movie in 1977, which put him on the map. Mm-hmm. He was he was subsequently hired mm-hmm. to direct the 1978 comedy, some film named Animal House. <laughs> oh yes, okay. Animal yes, House. That's where I know the name mm-hmm. from. Was Animal House. Animal House gross. Get this, and I didn't do the inflation. Now that I'm thinking of it. Oh okay. Animal House grossed 120 million dollars in, like, in 1978. 78. At the domestic box office. Holy shit! Making it the highest grossing comedy in history at the time. That's. That's, that's a ton of money. That's a, that's still a ton of money now if a movie makes $120 million. Oh my God, it is still one of my father's favorite movies, along with Caddyshack. It's my Uncle Jeff's favorite movie. Okay. Because he's, like, right in the wheel. He would have been, like, you know, 22 or 23 when that movie came out, so. I watched all of the movies that my dad loved, like, especially, well, mostly the comedies, um, growing up. And it's hard when you're 12 to, like, appreciate, say, the Blues Brothers, yeah. Because it's kind of like, okay. Oh, oh, speaking of which, in 1980, he would direct the Blues oh, Brothers. Oh, okay. In which Steven Spielberg makes a cameo appearance. Oh, how funny. And in 1981, directed the horror classic An American Werewolf in London. With MJ Fox, right? What? Who? Michael J. Fox? No. no, no Who's no. a teen? That's Teen Wolf. Wolf. Please do not okay. confuse Teen Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> and An American Werewolf in London. <laughs> Those could not be two more different films. Okay, was an American... So, Teen Wolf was like a comedy, right? Horror comedy? Well, so was, yes, but more of a comedy. Uh Uh-huh. American Werewolf in London was a 
was maybe the first horror comedy because there are some horrific scenes in the movie. So like horror After, movie scenes. Oh yeah, but okay. there are also some weird trippy and kind of funny scenes was in the it movie. Campy? I think deliberately campy. I don't or? think so. It's just you have to see it. This it's worth seeing. This is the era of like porkies and shit. Isn't Absolutely, it? Okay. yes, it is. And this is we're also coming off of the seventies, late seventies into the early eighties. Yeah, and also like, didn't Deer Hunter come out? It was around? like 77, 78. Yeah. yeah. So we're getting into and the God. Well, no, the Godfather was earlier, right? Like seventy three, yeah. I think. Yeah. Like I feel like this was also coming out of a really gritty era of it is there's still a little there is a little grit to it but as you can see like three of these four films are comedies and one of them also has comedy elements elements to it even though it's mostly seen as a horror movie it's kind of like the the rise of the raunchy comedy oh very much so yeah very much so all I remember about Porky's is seeing the cover. That, talk about a movie that would get canceled today. Holy shit. <laughs> well, there's probably a reason nobody talks about it as a classic. Like, oh, it's not a any, great film. Not anymore. Like, you know, I think there was a time when people did. But looking back on it, even I'm like, well, Jesus, that's, that's taking things Cringe. a little bit too far. <laughs> yes. Jeez. Like, I'll put it this way. I'm not going to watch that movie ever again. Yeah. But if somebody else wants to, go ahead. Like, well, whatever. I don't believe uh, yeah. in, like, censorship. Exactly. But a lot but of people do, and that's why I'm throwing that out there. Cancel culture, because by the way, is not censorship. That's, anyway, that's a whole different topic. Okay. We're not even going to get into that. Okay. But anyway. So an American Werewolf in London uh, comes out, and he works with uh, special effects creator Rick Baker. Oh, I, I know that name. Whom Landis would later work with two years, uh, whom Landis would work with two years later, Making the music video for Michael Jackson's Thriller. Thriller. Yes. Yeah, and that, you know what? I will say, like, I, I have never seen an American werewolf teen in... An American werewolf in London. <laughs> it is a classic. You will not make fun of it, and you will especially not compare it to Teen Wolf. Never again. An American fox in... <laughs> an American teen wolf in London. In teen. In Paris. Teen time. Um, they did make a sequel to the movie starring that guy who was in That Thing You Do. He was supposed to be like the next oh, Tom Hanks, like that guy. The drummer in The Thing You Do. I know, I know. That don't guy. Know. Scott something? Fully? Anyway, no. no. Anyway, they did make a sequel to An American Werewolf in London. Okay. Which was terrible. I was going to say something, but now I completely forgot what. So it's probably for the best. Probably so. <laughs> So, oh, the, the the special effects. Actually, like I've seen thriller, so I've seen Thriller, right? Like that's yeah, pretty. Everybody's seminal. seen that video. Especially like the thing that looks dated about Thriller is like the it's film. The cin- the it's the cinematography. Choice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The special effects are, are actually quite good. And I want to say that that video cost like three or four million dollars to produce. Oh yeah, produce, it was, that was a which major at the production. time people were like, "You're going to spend four million dollars on a music video?" Look who's laughing all the way to yeah, the bank. Yeah, right. Um, is Rick Baker the guy that Rogan had on that one? No, time? that was uh, that was the other famous another effects really guy. famous. Yeah. Uh, I can't. Why can't I? Tony. Tom Savini. Is the other effects guy that's really famous. From that era, sort of like the pioneer. I don't know about Rick Baker, but Tom Savini is certainly still around. But yes, they were both very influential and and pioneers in the effects. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what I think, too, in that time... Industry. The effects industry. It was to a point where they had developed... uh, What are they called? Practical effects? Mm -hmm. 
had gotten much better. Had gotten really good, and right before video effects were super, mm-hmm. like the thing, because and I just think before it, computer effects come into play. I think I do think there was a point where it kind of switched over to the point where the CGI effects looked too slick. Yeah, that was like that, unreal because that was they were pretty, too real. That was pretty much the entire decade of the 2000s. Yeah, there was way too yeah. much CGI, and it just and I think you in the everything was a green. I think screen. in the 2010s, people got wise to like I think people want more physical sets. There was a and, ret- uh, I think that yeah. now there's a return to a certain amount of practical effects. Look at us talking like we're film absolutely we are. We're, that's that's going to be our other uh, podcast launching soon. All bad movies. Well, we've talked about that we before. <laughs> Maybe we'll start it. What the hell? Maybe we got nothing else to do. <laughs> so uh, speak for yourself yeah, right so uh well tax season's over yeah well that's true I, I i have you have me for another five and a half months so john landis at this time is coming off of um an american were- werewolf in london mm-hmm. blues brothers yes the blues brothers um uh, animal, animal house, house and uh the kentucky fried movie so okay. he's he is on a roll like a comedy director that's an interesting mostly choice. yes and that's what separated him from steven spielberg but spielberg that... was the action spielberg right. spielberg cannot do comedy like he tried once and really? failed what did he do? Uh, a movie called donald 1941 no oh he di- he produced howard the duck oh, okay not donald duck no i know it wasn't donald duck uh he did this movie duck. called 1941 which is often uh-huh. cited as the worst movie he's ever made really? it was supposed to be a spoof of like world war ii it's supposed to be kind of a send-up of um that famous movie Stripes that they, or something that oh. they made about the bomb in 19 fit in the 1950s oh anyway, dr strange love yes yeah it was okay. supposed to be in that vein and it was not very good. Okay. So that's the that's the thing that separated these two. Gotcha. Landis could do comedy. Spielberg, Spielberg did the action, action, big adventure. budget. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Landis could do that too. E.T. When did he do E.T.? This was right. E.T. had come out a little over a month before this incident happened. Wow. It was, so Spielberg E.T. was, was out. High. Well, as they said in, in a documentary i was watching about this uh-huh. and they said this about spielberg and landis at the time mm-hmm. they could have gotten the phone book made as a movie if they wanted to <laughs> right. at this time yeah their studios were probably throwing money mm-hmm. at them because they were money making machines yeah they're both huge making over a hundred million dollars in for 1978 a money yeah for a comedy where john belushi pretends to be a zit yes that is like that's talent <laughs> yeah it's ridiculous i mean i didn't it's realize capitalistic it. talent yeah is right what that is so both of these guys are and that's not even They're including their game and that's not yeah. george lucas is still very huge at this time because return of the he, jedi is not even out still yet years away from making the yes. horrible shit films yes, that was. would expose him for the fraud he was well hey you get lucky once it's all you need right <laughs> better to be lucky than good as they say um so yeah that's the that's the that, the that's the that's the, the backdrop of this yeah. film is you have these four hot mm-hmm. up and coming directors all these you know especially the Wunderkinds or whatever exactly yeah. uh-huh. and plus you have probably the two biggest ones in the day yeah all pitching in to make a movie about a, a series that everybody loves you know a, Twilight a reboot, Zone is right. yeah Twilight uh-huh. Zone is still a beloved series always will be and it's recent enough you know what it is it's the twenty year cycle right if you wait twenty years. It becomes It'll relevant be pop- again. Or 15. Again, yeah. I've heard people say 15 years. Yeah. It becomes relevant again. Yeah. You have to wait at least 10. If you yeah. do it before that, you kind of miss a sweet spot. But yeah. So on to The Twilight Zone, the movie. Okay. 
So the film is a remake of three episodes of the original series and introduces well and introduces one original story to be directed by Landis. I'm sorry, I should have shut up and let my man talk as Camille, (laughs) our two star reviewer, says. Oh, (laughs) okay. Now I remember. Yes, I I don't think I'm gonna. I think we're gonna call that a lost episode, the one we recorded. I'm actually very embarrassed by my performance. Okay. But I did do a very. Can I hear it? Because I don't. Uh, anyway, whatever. The supermarket sweep all good things? Yeah. Well, I mean, we we'll we put, can uh, we can keep it. Sure. But I'm not going to put it out there for general consumption. Nah, but I did sufficiently skewer Camille, a misogynist, who's also <laughs> proudly proclaiming, and I'm a girl. Yeah, she can go fuck herself. Anyway. Anywho. <laughs> so the, the film was produced by Frank Marshall, another oh, Hollywood veteran. Yeah. And Kathleen Kennedy. Oh, who is currently the head of some indie film studio known as Disney? <laughs> currently, like currently, that's her. yes. Okay, so she is yes. she's the, the current Michael Eisner. Yes, except more successful probably because it's uh, Michael Eisner was a weirdo. Well, anybody if you, by the time you have that much money and that much influence, I think everybody's kind of a weirdo. But probably. how she tried to open America's Disney or Disney's America? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Only there's Michael probably, Eisner tried There's that. probably something else that they were working on that now they can't open because of uh, oh, the yeah, pandemic right. we're in. Well, Disneyland's open, apparently. Um, the film would also be distributed by Warner Brothers. The film it's began... Lots of big studios. Oh, yeah. The film began with a pro- prologue known as Something Scary, which a lot of people who have seen the movie... Um, that's a short segment with uh, Dan Aykroyd and hmm. Albert Brooks... And, oh, 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 my God. And Talk the, about uh, someone who became completely irrelevant yeah, once right? his time was over. <laughs> but, uh, like, the catchphrase in that little segment is uh-huh. like a two-minute-long uh, prologue. Okay. Um, Dan Aykroyd's character just says, you want to see something really scary? Mm. So that's how it sets up the movie. Like a little tense, a little yes. teaser. The first full segment of the film would be Time Out, uh, titled Time Out. Okay. Uh, which was directed by Landis as well, and would begin the first of four short films. Okay. Uh, he would also direct the prologue. So he okay. did the er, epilogue, I'm sorry. Okay. So he did the prologue, epilogue, and the very first segment of the film. Okay. The second segment, uh, Kick the Can, was directed by Spielberg. It's a Good Life, directed by Joe Dante, would be the third segment of the film, and the classic Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, mm-hmm. starring John Lithgow. Mm-hmm. In a role originally starring William Shatner That's in the right. series, would, saw that one would be directed by George Miller as the fourth segment. Okay, so I absolutely I've never seen the Twilight Zone movie, so I don't know the version with John Lithgow. It's absolutely excellent. Saw the scared one. the shit out of me when I was a little kid. The 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 premise is incredibly it, frightening. It is. The only thing that ruins it's terrifying. The, the only thing that ruins the original now, if you look at it, is how funny the monster was. The costume is, yes. <laughs> looks like a little I graham think, cracker teddy bear. I think that's why... A teddy Graham. It looks teddy like a Graham. Teddy Graham. <laughs> I think that's why the movie version um, was got, the, got the hype that it did, because mm-hmm. the effects were really good, and all the performances were excellent. I mean, mm-hmm. you really thought John Lithgow was a guy losing his fucking mind on right. a plane... And the circumstances that that creates, mm-hmm. you know. Did he do every- the little where he's scared? Oh to yeah, <laughs> and he, keep, he keeps he keeps looking at it. He keeps looking at it. He keeps looking at it, and then he looks away, and then he, and then he turns and opens it, and the face. Ah! <laughs> that scared the f- 
fuck out of me when I was a little kid. When did you see it? How old were you? I'm guessing I it, it, I probably saw it on HBO when I was like six or seven. That feels a little young to be watching something I was, intense. <laughs> I, that's really when I started watching movies, and yeah. I, I never really stopped. Mm-hmm. I kind of did in my later years, but mm-hmm. there aren't too many movies that came out in the 80s, 90s, early-ish 2000s that, that I haven't seen. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not even kidding. You do, ha- you do have a large library knowledge of... Uh... Film. Are you going to talk about the plots of the other ones? Because I'm actually a, li- a little okay. bit. At least touch on them. Yes, I'm I am very interested. Okay. Yes. Um, other notable stars of the film include Scatman Crothers, who was in the Steven Spielberg segment. Uh, Kathleen Quinlan. Okay, na- name. Sorry, Scatman Crothers. He was in uh, the The Shining. The Shining. Yeah. Yes. 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 Uh huh. Yeah. As um, what is his name? His character's name. Uh, I can't remember. The guy who like. He also has, also the, has shining. the shining, yeah, mm-hmm. and and can recognize it in Danny. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know that for a while I thought Scatman Crothers and Bobcat Goldblum? God damn it! Here we go again. Because <laughs> think about the names; they're so they're so similar in how unusual they are. <laughs> okay. Yes, think of. They are not the same person. Think of the names and then look at the people and see how <laughs> they're, similar they're they are. not similar. I understand that. Okay. Uh, Kathleen Quinlan of Apollo 13 fame. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dan Aykroyd and Albert Brooks. Mm-hmm. And, and the... And, 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 and... The aforementioned Vic Morrow. So, Vic Morrow, I'm trying to... I'll get into him. Okay, okay. Other actors who were featured in the original television series, who who also appeared in small parts in the oh, movie, okay. like were, a callback. Mm-hmm, were William Schallert, Kevin McCarthy. Wait, William Schallert? Schallert. Kevin, oh, so Kevin McCarthy. No. <laughs> okay, I thought, I thought you were. No. <laughs> I thought you were mispronouncing. Kevin. Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy. Who I believe is currently not this Kevin McCarthy, but there is a Kevin McCarthy who's a senator, who's a douchebag. Anyway. Uh, Bill Mumy. Murray Matheson, Murray Matheson, Peter Brocho, and Patricia Berry. I don't recognize any of those names, but if I don't they either. were they were just they in, were they were probably actors from their day. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The four segments were narrated by Burgess Meredith. Oh yes, who was very famous in all the who time in the world. Who also starred in four episodes of the original yeah. series. Very notably, all the time in the world, uh, where he plays a librarian who. Um, uh, survives basically like a, a nuclear apocalypse. I think you've told me about that one before. I yeah. need to. I need to watch more of these. I've watched like the There's very first a lot one. Of them are great. Very good. Mm-hmm. The first one I watched is this guy. He's in the middle of nowhere. And he just comes across this diner, but there's nobody, and it's just, it's really creepy. Anyway. Yeah, some of them were just sort of unsettling yeah. and creepy. There's a, a very good one about a doppelganger. Um, the Four of Us Are Dying of course, is a really uh, good one. It's a Cookbook is probably one of the most famous episodes. Was that the Twilight Zone? Why yes. am I... Yeah. It's, uh, a, it's a cookbook. They. How to Serve Man. Yeah. That's Twilight Zone episode. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is. I don't know why I thought, I thought it was the Soylent Green movie. Uh, I Omega. I've heard of it. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Clearly, I don't know. <laughs> it's a great thing we're doing an episode about movies. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the Shining, starring Bobcat Goldquist. There you go, Bob. <laughs> and Scatman Crothers as Bobcat Goldquist. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that again. Uh, <laughs> 
director Joe Dante recalled that the four stories were originally intended to be interwoven with characters from one segment appearing in another segment. To make it really clear that the universe is the same. Right. Mm -hmm. But problems with the filming schedule prevented this. So it was just kind of like, no, you just do your thing. And it was just kind of assumed, like, this is all in the same universe. These are four different stories. Um, I get what he's saying, though. Like, they were trying to keep some level of, like, uh, a, a through line. Yeah. So yeah. through these characters, just to connect but, everything, yeah. but but it's like you know, I, I, I the stories that, are so kind of strange, yeah, and it's the Twilight Zone. Yeah. People know it's like mm-hmm. it's a it's its own universe. It's, it's and it is an anthology. Mm-hmm. So like the show is an anthology where not necessarily like. In fact, they had like you said, Burgess Meredith was was and four in different four episodes. Different yeah. yeah so. Uh, so on to, uh, Landis's full segment, uh, known as Time Out. Okay. So Landis's segment was a story about a middle-aged bigot who would be forced to see the world through the eyes of the people he hated. Hmm. The narration goes as follows. You are about to meet an angry man, Mr. William Connor, who carries on his shoulder a chip the size of the national debt. <laughs> this is a sour man, a lonely man who's tired of waiting for the breaks that come to others, but never to him. Mr. William Connor, whose own blind hatred, is about to catapult him into the darkest corners of the Twilight Zone. You have fun saying that. I did. (laughs) I'm sure it sucked, but anyway, it was fun. No, no, it was very fun. The synopsis of the story is that Vic Morrow's character, Bill Connor, a Korean War veteran, is bitter after being passed over for a promotion in favor of a Jewish co-worker. Drinking in a bar after work with his friends, Bill utters slurs, slurs toward... Now, this is a segment that I'm sure they've maybe edited it from... Oh, because he uses actual it's racial pretty, Oh, slurs. yeah, and it's pretty oh, bad. Wow. Like, he doesn't hold back. Wow. Uh, so, Bill utters slurs towards Jewish people, black people, oh, and God. Asian people. Welcome to Ronald Reagan's America, everyone. <laughs> Yay! Well, you, know you know what I realized? That when you... Um, in that narration said um, a chip on a shoulder the size of the national debt I'm like that's a very Reagan era early Reagan era yes yeah Tur- like yeah connotation yeah, yeah. so yeah so uh, believe it or not uh, mm-hmm. believe it or not cats and kittens <laughs> it was Ronald Reagan that made it okay for Americans to be racist again <laughs> Donald Trump just took it to another Making level America racist again yes um, or keeping America racist yes. still Keeping America back to going, we had like some progress for ten years back to racist again because that's anyway. Um, but Vic Morrow, are you going to get into? I I am. Okay, okay, because I'm still not placing him. You will. Okay. Um, a black man sitting nearby asks him to stop. This is going on while he's ranting like racial. And I, I very much, I saw this movie a lot when I was a kid. Okay. I very much remember, um. The black character saying saying to him like to stop because he's using the n word a lot. <laughs> like he says it about three or four times. Oh my god! And the black guy comes over and is just like, "Hey man, you got a like, problem?" Yeah. And he goes, "I got lots of problems." He goes, "Well, maybe you ought to keep your problems to yourself." <laughs> That's a very polite way to confront someone. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Uh, as a little kid, I thought that's maybe that's how you handle things. As an adult, and I was a black person, I heard somebody say, no. No, I would not be that polite. So, when Bill leaves the bar, very angry about the confrontation that he had when just a black person's, hey, just could you please just stop using well, the N-word? politely asking him to stop being a very public douchebag. But when he walks outside the bar, 
this being the Twilight Zone, uh, uh-huh. he finds himself in Nazi-occupied France during World War II. Huh. A pair of SS officers patrolling mm-hmm. the streets interrogate him. Bill cannot answer satisfactorily, satisfactorily since he does not speak German. Oh. A chase ensues, and Bill ends up on the ledge of a building where he's shot at by the officers. He falls from the ledge and lands in the rural U.S. South during the 1950s. Oh, I get it. So he's like t- weird time traveler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's becoming all the people Wormhole, he hates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Literally walking in their shoes. Sort absolutely. Of yeah. During the 1950s, where a group of Ku Klux Klansmen see him <laughs> as an African-American man uh-huh. who they are about to lynch. Jesus. Bill vehemently tells them he is white to no avail. While trying to escape, he jumps into a lake and surfaces in a jungle during the Vietnam War and mm. is immediately fired at by American soldiers, mm. one of whom throws a grenade. Instead of killing him, the grenade launches him into occupied France again. Mm. There he is captured by the SS officers and put into an enclosed railroad freight car along with other Jewish prisoners. Mm. Bill sees the bar with his friends standing outside oh. looking for him. He screams for help, but they cannot see him or the train as it pulls away. Oh, wow. This was not the originally planned ending of the story. Huh. I still remember this yeah. segment very vividly. So it ends it's really very darkly good. that he's oh, yeah. going to his death, clearly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, on to Vic Morrow. What was the originally planned? We'll get into that. Oh, okay. Okay. Vic Morrow, 53, at the time of the accident, first gained fame on the World War II-inspired television show Combat, which ran for five seasons from 1962 to 1967. I've literally never heard of that. Unfortunately, his career took a downturn in the 1970s as he was mostly relegated to small roles in foreign and independent films. Mm. When he was cast as the lead actor of the segment Time Out, directed by John Landis, Mm -hmm. in a project that also involved Steven Spielberg, Mm -hmm. he recognized the role as a big break for his career. that's a huge opportunity. Absolutely. Especially if you're feeling like you're no longer relevant Mm -hmm. as an actor. And I especially... At that time, well, but just period. If you're not somebody super famous, if if you're not after your, <laughs> if you're not um, uh, somebody who's super famous, if you're not a Tom Cruise or an Arnold Schwarzenegger, Tom or Cruise is just coming out in 1982, 83. Yeah, but if you're not, I'm. What I mean is, by the time you're in your early 50s, if you have not already established yourself as a major actor, I think maybe at that you time, you struggle staying relevant. But nowadays. <clears throat> There are plenty of actors who don't come to relevance until their 40s, 50s, sometimes 60s. Like actors. Um, Kevin Spacey. Um, Kevin Spacey was doing shit in his... Like, but um, he didn't become... Usual Suspects was 30s. He was in his 30s. No, yes, he, he was. Uh, well, okay. yeah. well, we're not going to get into all that. He's not 60 years old right now. But, he is, still, old right but now. he is still relevant as an older... Uh, the guy in Breaking Bad, he's another one who became... Brian Cranston. Who was yeah, acting a lot, but became relevant. Right. Sir uh-huh. Ian McKellen is another who became more relevant the older he got. You know, like it's not... It's not... Nowadays... Nice. Yeah. And it's easier for an actor mm-hmm. than for an actress oh, yes. to be relative Ooh, at an older yes. age. That is very true. I mean, Clint Eastwood is another one. Yeah, he's always been famous, but mm-hmm. he took kind of a dive in like the 80s and 90s and then came back well, when he, he was... Well, but he also revived his career as a director, he too. Did. That was That's a big true. part of it. Yeah. So it's not it's not impossible for, mm-hmm. for older actors back to get... Back then, I can see it being really... But back then, it's probably... Mm-hmm. He was probably like, holy shit, like, I've got to make the most of this. Yeah, right, here's a real opportunity. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the ones who died. Unfortunately, yes. Oh, jeez. So Morrow, again, recognizing this as a huge break for his career, performed many of his own stunts and was well-liked on a very tense set by cast Mm. and crew members alike. 
Very tense set. Do you get into that? The same could not be said for director mm-hmm. John Landis. Uh-oh. Landis, on the other hand, gained a reputation in Hollywood for being a hot-headed perfectionist. It was Landis who insisted that children be used for the climactic scene in which the lead character redeems himself by dragging two Vietnamese children mm. to safety during attack during an attack by the U.S. military, in addition to Morrow himself being used in a stunt sequence that likely required stuntmen and or dummies to film the sequence. So that when you said that that was not the original intended ending was kind of a grim him getting carted off for, mm-hmm. to his death, what it was meant to be is like a redemption story. Like he learned his lesson and was self-sacrificial. Yikes. Pretty much. Well, I mean, he's nobody's thinking anything bad's going to happen. No, he's just like not. he's just thinking mm-hmm. he's like I've got to do whatever he tells me. You know, I've got to and I've got to be a trooper. I'm not going to get it. Another... Well, because this was his opportunity. Mm-hmm. This is his big new break. His, his big yeah. comeback mm-hmm. essentially. Comeback. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, of course, Moro again not wanting to waste, you know. He's like, "Sure." Yeah. Um, and, well, and he went. He went right along with the plan. He was like, "Yeah, I'll do it." And if he's well liked, chances are he's kind of an affable person mm-hmm. anyway. So he's not going to kick up a fuss. Mm-mm. He probably didn't want to be perceived as a diva or, or just get on anyone's bad side. Yeah, he, he's just like, I've got to do whatever I, whatever mm. I've got to do. So what happened next remains to this day a cautionary tale about necessary safety on movie sets when stunts are being performed. And had an effect on the movie industry that lasts to this day. Mm-hmm. So on to the actual incident. Okay. So again, on July 23rd, 1982, the climax of the segment, Time Out, began filming at Indian Dunes, located near what is now a Six Flags Ma- Magic Mountain amusement park. It, in, in California? Yes. I assume? Okay. In, in like the LA area? Yes. Hollywood area? Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> so within the 30-mile zone, I remember seeing something about that. That's what... 30-mile zone? That's what TMZ stands for, 30-mile zone. Like, well, LA, like LA has like a 30-mile radius of... Uh, oh, I got you, like the greater metro yes. area sort of thing? Okay. The site was a popular area for filmmakers as it featured hills, flat plains, riverbeds, and densely wooded forest forest land that could portray many locations around the world. I've heard of that, that they, that there's a lot of interesting topography in L.A. that works very well to portray. For movies. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can. All sorts of areas. Like, hey, this is uh, Toronto. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Like, close enough. Like it This would, is Vietnam. Know, yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> so during the scene... A Bell UH-1 Iroquois helicopter that was piloted by actual Vietnam War veteran Dorsey Wingo oh, wow. was to fly low over the actors, rumored to be about 25 feet off the ground. Okay, so he's hovering 25 feet off the ground. Above these three actors. Yeah. With five additional movie crew members on board the helicopter to get an overhead shot of the okay. three actors trying to run away and take cover from a fictional Vietnam War battle. Okay. At around 2.30 a.m., Actor Vic Morrow and child actors Micah Dinlay and Renee Shin Chen began acting out the scene. That's in the middle of the night. Well, I guess because well, it was a night shoot. We're going to get into that. Oh, boy. The two child actors were hired in violation of California law, mm. which prohibits child actors from working at night. Yeah. Or in proximity to explosions and requires mm. the presence of a teacher or a social worker. How old were these children? Six and seven. They were little. little kids. They weren't even like 10 or 12. Mm-hmm. They were six and seven. In the scene that served as the original ending, 
Moro's character was to have traveled back through time again as he stumbled into a deserted Vietnam village where he finds two young Vietnamese children mm. left behind <clears throat> when a U.S. Army helicopter appears and begins shooting at them. Mm. Moro was to take both children under his arms and escape out of the village as the hovering helicopter destroyed the village with multiple explosions, which would have led to his character's redemption. Okay. So this so is his a redemption. narrow escape from... Mm-hmm. Because he, Saving two Vietnamese kids. I gotcha. So sort of the idea that, like, there's some humanity in this character because he sees these helpless kids. And, and they like, see him as Vietnamese because right, that's what everybody mm-hmm. else sees him mm-hmm. as. Because so, this is like an alternate reality. Mm-hmm. The helicopter pilot had trouble navigating through the fireballs created by the pyrotechnic effects for the sequence, and as a result, a technician on the ground detonated two of the pyrotechnic charges too close to the helicopter. Oh, no. This but, this is a type of shit that, if you're going to try it, it better be choreographed down to the millisecond. Absolutely. Well, it is. But this is, I'm sure this is a scene, like, they've got one shot to get it right. Because these kind of scenes are very expensive, expensive to film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they, I don't know what choreography was like in 1982. Well, see, that's the thing. But, I feel like... But they nowadays, really they plan this out for weeks well. and weeks and months oh, yeah. in advance and have everything down to a millisecond of what's supposed to happen. I have kind of a funny story to tell about safety in movies and TV now when we get to that later. Okay. Try to remember it. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, that's... Okay, so pyrotechnics going off too, too close, close to, to the, the helicopter. helicopter. Yep. Which I imagine is not a great idea to spook an ex... Well, I I don't think it was I I don't think it was necessarily that it was just no it was just that was still dangerous it was a little too dangerous of a yeah and the stunt wasn't going as it was planned right okay so the flash force of the two explosions damaged the rear rotor rotor oh no and caused the low flying helicopter to lose control and crash land on top of Morrow and the two children as they were crossing a small pond away from the set of the village wait oh. All three were killed instantly, with Moro and Lei getting decapitated by the helicopter's top rotor blades, oh, God. while Chen was crushed to death by the landing skid of the helicopter. Oh my God. The pilot of the helicopter, along with five film crew members, survived with minor injuries. The proximity of the helicopter, again, just 25 feet above the ground, above mm-hmm. them, to the special effects explosions was due to the failure to establish direct communications and coordination between the pilot who was in command of the helicopter operation, and the film director, being Landis, Uh who was in charge of the filming operation. Filming was shut down immediately, though only for a few days, and the post-production crew made the highly controversial decision for the segment to remain in the film, memorializing Vic Morrow's final performance. Though rumors claimed that Spielberg was on set during the accident, it was later confirmed he was at another location, working on pre-production for some film called Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, (laughs) as Raiders of the Lost Ark had come out the previous year in 1981. Uh Uh-huh. So the aftermath. Can I? Yes, absolutely. This is, I mean, it's terrible. Decapitated. Mm Mm-hmm. By By a helicopter helicopter blade. blade. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty bad. Including a child. Yep. That's awful. Mm-hmm. And that was all happening in front of an entire crew and it's, cast of people. You can watch this on YouTube if you want to. Wait, the crash? Yep. 
The crash is recorded. Yes, they were filming. They were filming the sequence. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Do you see that part of it? We'll get into that. So the aftermath. Okay. Spielberg, Joe Dante, and George Miller had yet to film their segments when the accident happened. Oh, so this and, was the first of the whole film yes. to be filmed, yeah. And did so following the incident with a heavy weight being felt by cast and crew alike. Um, obviously. Yeah. Almost exactly 11 months later, on June 24th, 1983, the accident happened on July 23rd, 1982. Okay. Mm-hmm. Twilight Zone, the movie, was released in theaters to lukewarm reviews in an underwhelming box office haul of $42 million worldwide. The film was a, su- a financial success, but grossed far below expectations, given the high profiles of the directors involved. So it made a profit, but not as much but as not, the studio. Yeah, oh, they were yeah. expecting this mm-hmm. to be a blockbuster, and mm-hmm. it was... Eh. Mm-hmm. I Excellent film. I mean, I... And when I first saw it, I didn't know any of this had happened. Sure. And it's at a different time. <clears throat> 1982, there's no internet like we know it. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like... If something like this happened today, uh-huh. you'd know about it in 20 minutes. Plus, people also know by now that um, th- this wasn't necessarily the case a ways back, but that critical cassette success and commercial success with audiences are two different things. Absolutely. And often do not occur simultaneously. That's true. That is true. There have been terrible movies that have made tons of money. Mm-hmm. And there have been some of the greatest movies ever made that, that, nobody made, gives a shit that made jack shit. <laughs> yeah. So the timeout segment was widely criticized due to the accident that occurred while filming. And Spielberg's segment, Kick the Can, was widely seen as boring in the worst of the four segments of the film. Do you get into the plots of the other three? Kick the can. I don't write it down. I can. Okay. I can okay, do it yeah, from memory. I'd be interested because kick the can is about um, an old folks' home. This is the Scatman Crothers uh, okay. part of the segment of the movie. Bobcat Goldblatt and kind of discovering yes, um, and kind of discovering that they can be young again. Uh-huh. And in a couple documentaries I've seen. Mm-hmm. Like, this segment influenced Ron Howard to make the movie, which was a much oh, better version oh, oh, of this, yes. Cocoon. Cocoon, that's it. Yeah. So, um, I've never seen it, but I know it's about I've seen it a few times, yeah. yes. Okay. And then what are the other... Which one I'll, was I'll the get, original? Well, I'll, I'll, get in, I'll get into okay. that as we go along. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, Kick the Can, which was the Spielberg, again, the hottest director probably in the world. Him and like was just the snoozer. The, and I, looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, if I just... Watch the movie with that that segment. I wouldn't really be missing much. That was a reboot, right? That yes, was, that was that I, was. I was gonna a, say mm-hmm. that was the thing about the quote unquote dud episodes of the Twilight Zone. It, they actually weren't duds. What they were were, were like um, commentary, social commentary, or like more. Um, philosophically yeah kind of yeah. So they weren't thrilling. No. They weren't scary. Was, they weren't. It was there. Well, what they it was were, like a kind. Of, it could have been a good story, but well, it no, just... what they were were meant to be more introspective or sure. something. So it, it, they weren't as you like. You have to be in the right mindset to watch yeah, stuff like that. But yeah, that segment I remember didn't necessarily work. It, mm. it wasn't very memorable, except for, and directed by except for how unmemorable Spielberg, it was. Yeah. Spielberg later admitted that he basically mailed in his role as director. Yeah, because he was still reeling from the shock of the accident. Yeah, because even if you weren't there, even if oh, this is affecting everybody. You didn't do anything to cause yeah. it, like and and there were rumors, to... and there were rumors that he was there, and he was like, and he was like, like bullshit, he to, and yeah. it was later confirmed. He was like, I was working on something else when this mm-hmm. happened, so he kind of got dragged through the mud a little bit too. Yeah. Um, 
which wasn't fair to him because he had nothing mm-hmm. to do with it. Um, Joe Dante's segment, It's a Good Life. Um, so I'm doing this off of memory. Um, mm-hmm. That's a segment about uh, a woman that is played by Kathleen Quinlan. Okay. Um, and who had been relative? Quite she was, young yeah, at she was time, very young. Huh? I'm guessing she was in her mid to late 20s, okay. probably. Um, she is trying to make a phone call at like a gas station and the phone doesn't work. And some little kid is like, You can use the phone at my house. Okay. You know, because obviously this is, nobody has cell phones in yeah. <laughs> 1982. Uh-huh. And the kid is like a um, disturbed kid with like psychic powers. Oh, okay. And her character helps him kind of heal and not oh. be such a... So but but at one point, he senses his sister into a uh, cartoon where his sister gets eaten by a cat, a cartoon cat. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So he's kind of a... He's just they, well they did a so They did a story recently, which I've been wanting to see and haven't mm-hmm. yet. They did a movie like a year or two ago called Brightburn, which was basically like, uh, what if Superman was became evil? Like, as mm. a child, I'm like... That's an interesting premise. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if it was good or not, but... Well, it kind of raises an interesting question about, like, there are serial killers who showed signs of right. becoming serial killers when they are children. Right. What do you do with people like that? Can they be intervened um, and changed? Right. Or Can is they? It, yeah. Well, it's still a question. That's an interesting question. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was a little bit of a feel good in a weird, disturbing in a, way. In a disturbing way, but it, but it got but that segment got rave reviews. Oh, okay. <clears throat> as well as George Miller's retelling of Nightmare at Twenty Thousand yes, Feet. Yes. Okay. The probably the most famous. Yes. Which was highly praised by critics and audiences alike, with Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet being hailed as a mini masterpiece. Hmm. And the immediate and that again scared the shit out of me. And you said that's the Mad Max director's. Yes. Mm-hmm. One. Yep. Contribution. Okay. In the immediate aftermath of the controversy, Landis's career remained successful as he would go on to direct Trading Places, hmm. which came out in 1983, starring uh, Twilight Zone alum Dan Aykroyd, mm-hmm. along with a young Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. He would at, Later that year, he would go on to direct the aforementioned thriller music video, mm-hmm. which still remains one of the most popular music yes. videos mm-hmm. ever made. Mm-hmm. And a, a work of cinematic art in itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and would release uh, Into the Night, Spies Like Us, and the Three, Amigo- in, oh, and the three, three Amigos. Amigos in the following years, all of which were critical and box office successes. But he was kind of responsible for this on some we'll get. We're about to get into that. Okay. So the incident happens in the summer of 1982. Right. We're about Maybe. to get to the trial, which does not happen until oh. 1987. Oh, so there's a, a trial. So we're talking oh, yeah. legal shit going on. Oh, yeah. On. Like civil or criminal? Well, you're getting into all I'm that. I'm getting into that. Um, Landis's career, however, became, began to take a downturn when the trial charging Landis and co-executive ah. producer George Fulsey Jr. with manslaughter, yeah. which began in 1987. So this is criminal. Oh, yeah. These are criminal charges. The trial began in February of 1987 and came to a verdict on May 28th later that year. John Landis was found not guilty on five mm. counts of involuntary manslaughter. Five? Yes. Oh, oh, multiple for... Well, I, I just said five counts. Three people died, probably the two in... I don't know. There's some, some sort of Or maybe of I just count. wrote it down uh, wrong. Yeah. Well, that's all right. In connection with the crash. Mm-hmm. There was a total of 93 days of testimony, four days of prosecution re- rebuttal, and 13 days of final arguments. Oh, and my s- God. I don't think anybody, like, realizes how fucking long oh, opening be, and closing arguments. It can go on are. forever. Either one. Be- because I, there is no oh my God, specific 
I will never be able to serve on a jury <clears throat> for so many reasons, but one of them is I will fall the fuck asleep during listening to someone talk for that long. Yeah. Holy shit. Uh, Thirteen the, days. Well, that, and that's just that's just of, of the final oh, arguments. Just the final yeah. arguments. Oh my god. In 71 days of prosecution testimony, 71 different witnesses were called, ranging from parents of the children oh. to expert stun effects coordinators. Like saying, hey, yeah, this is how it should have mm-hmm. been done. Yeah, like this is what you did wrong. Yeah. During the trial, Landis admitted to hiring the children, children knowingly breaking California's yes. child labor laws and paying them under the table. That's on, fucking tax evasion to boot. On the evening of the fatal accident, it was also revealed that associate producer George Falsey Jr., hid the children from a fire inspector who was on oh set to God. supervise any mishaps from the pyrotechnic explosions. So he didn't the the so the person whose job it was like to like keep an eye out for everybody for this exact reason didn't even know that these kids were there. They they were literally hidden from hid them. them. Yeah. Because they were it, it, they were hiring them illegally. Well, and and Landis and Landis admittedly illegal conditions. Ad, admitted to hiring them, and he also admitted like I want wanted to use actual children for this shot because that's just the kind of okay. nuts motherfucker he was. Like it's just not. I don't like this guy. No, no, not at all. So a, no. Yeah. Fucker. So Landis, George Folsey Jr., and three other defend- defendants involved with the film, including pilot Dorsey Wingo, oh, that's, oh, that sucks. were acquitted of all counts against them. The accident yeah. and, the, and the subsequent trial led to the end of Spielberg and Landis's personal and professional relationship. Okay, that's I feel better about Steven Spielberg for that. He was like, okay, yeah, look, we're, we're done. Yeah, you and me, we're not cool. Like we'll be cordial, but we're not hanging out. And we are a beer. not working together. Again. Yeah. Vic Morrow's daughter, the aforementioned Jennifer Jason Lee, who mm-hmm. had, at the time of the incident, recently starred in Cameron Crowe's Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, so she was just starting to break out. She yeah. was. Uh, sued Spielberg, Folsey Jr., and Warner Brothers for wrongful death. The case was settled out of court, and the details have never been revealed. Yeah, that's very common for out-of-court settlements. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was nice. Uh, I hope it was. I, I hope that they were just like, you know what, we and feel I hope so those, fucking bad. And I hope those kids' parents got a nice chunk of change, too. But I didn't, I didn't actually, I didn't research any of that to see if they did. Um, that's, that's... Yeah, this so is, this is a, that's this whole so thing shitty. is... And you know what, the, the fault... In, from what you said, sure lies with the director. How how they were acquitted, I really don't know. Yeah, and it didn't really. I get the the pilot. Yeah, being acquitted. He was um, literally doing his job. Yes, especially if especially if they weren't aware of the dangers. No, like the one thing I could say is that maybe if he was like because he didn't refuse to fly. Like the one thing I would say is I'm like, look, I'm not doing this if you, I don't, if I can't hear you, if right. we don't have direct communication. It sounds like that's to me the only like thing. it sounds like to me they were in the middle of the shoot, and the pilot just got confused on where he should be, and somebody else got confused because he wasn't supposed to be there and let off these pyrotechnics when or, it shouldn't have. Or, I mean, it comes down to just easy mistakes to yeah. make. I mean, right? when you when but... you when you watch it on the video because yeah. I have watched it it happens so fast it happens in a second sure, sure. and the helicopter just goes down uh-huh. and obviously everybody rushes but to it but nobody's thinking what just happened yeah. just happened like it it happened so quick oh my god 
and 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 horribly mutilated a child in the process and an adult crushed another one Mm -hmm. and then and then yes also mutilated an adult well also there's so much so the kids the kids were clearly faultless in all of it because they're of course they're kids yeah but that they were they're little kids they're like first and second graders and that like did the parents not realize that they shouldn't have been working? Uh, who kn- I mean, who knows if they were just trying to get a paycheck? I mean, you don't know. It, d- or it we're didn't... in a tough situation, right? Or this is still hey, post Vietnam our... era. Maybe they were immigrants, and oh, and it's our oh. our kids can get into the movie business. Like yeah. who knows? You know, but we need the money. Right? Any could have been uh, all of those things wrapped up together. The fucker is the guy paying them under the table. Yeah, John Landis is the. Is the criminal? He's, yes. Here, and I mean, the he really George is. Guy. Yes. For if he's for, like hiding. Yes, the children, he did that intentionally. That is. Nobody's thinking what is about to happen is going to happen, well, and I'm and sure why, this, and I'm sure this sort of thing happened every single day on every single movie shoot. Sure, and that is why they didn't charge them with murder mm-hmm. or homicide. Well, because it's not. It's it's manslaughter. It, manslaughter. Yeah. Or yeah. Mm. It's killing somebody because you put them in a dangerous position. Yes. Not because you did it on purpose, right. but they died as a result of your actions. Right. That's, that's manslaughter. Oh, my God. So the legacy of mm-hmm. the film mm-hmm. and the film. <laughs> the film and the film. The film being the movie. Oh. And the film being the accident. Okay. So footage of the accident first surfaced on a wide scale when it appeared in an episode of the straight-to-video horror series. Oh, Any faces guesses? of death. Motherfucker. Those fuckers. Footage from the trial. And that's the first time I saw it or was aware of it. But I, but so many of those, you could tell of those faces of death, you could tell that they were choreographed fake. and like fake. Shit. and yeah. So you didn't really know if what it was, was real. really real. That's almost worse. Yeah. That's somehow almost worse. And then later on, you go, you come to find out like when the internet and shit comes out yeah. and you can find out things. Like, <laughs> no, it, that really did happen yeah. and that was the real footage. Yeah. So yeah, I remember seeing it. I was probably, I was probably like 17 or 18 when I saw it. Um, footage from the trial including a slow-motion frame-by-frame sequence of the helicopter crash clearly shows, as clearly as 1982 videotape could show anyway, (laughs) Vic Morrow and Micah Dinlay getting decapitated. I have watched that. There there is a point where they stop a frame and you can literally see both their heads in midair detached from their bodies. I'm I'm not kidding. Um, but but it happens really fast if you were watching it in normal. Oh, if you're watching it normal speed, you can't tell anything's happened to anybody. Yeah. Like you're just thinking probably the people in the helicopter are mm-hmm. injured because you can't really tell that there were actors. For the purpose, I get that for the purposes of the trial, as awful as I'm sure it was for everyone involved, they had they to show. actually did have to show it. But, yeah. Yeah. The book outrageous the book outrageous conduct by Stephen Farber was released a year after the trial and chronicled the overbearing actions of director John Landis not only during the filming of the Twilight Zone mm-hmm. but during the trial as well. Oh. The high-profile trial coupled with the book ultimately proved to be Landis's downfall. You know what? Good. Right, rightfully so. Fucking I good. Put, I put in parentheses. Yes. <laughs> I mean. It's just, it's just like, Jesus. it's like, do you have to be a piece of shit? Like for your art to come to life? No, you don't. You know, no, the answer I mean, to that is no, you exactly. Don't. I mean, 
from all accounts, from what I could tell, this dude is... Prima Donna is the wrong just word. Just full of himself. He thinks yes. he's an artist. He, he has a vision, and if you don't do certain care. things to make that vision come to life, then, you know, he's going to act like... Then like fuck I, you, I'll find somebody else. I mean, yeah. I saw him, like, on... Um, uh, what am I... Uh, auditions. Uh-huh. Of him getting into it with, like, casting directors and saying... I'm like... And I'm just like... Dude, if anybody fucking ever talked to me like mm-hmm. that... We're going. It's, like, like I don't care if yeah. I get my ass kicked. It's like, like, like I, I am not going to be talked to like that by fucking anybody ever. Fuck like, that. it's conduct that is not professional. Ultimately, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. And abusive. And, and, and at a workplace. At, at, at worst. It, at best, it's unprofessional. At worst, it's, it's abusive. Oh, very much so. So. Yeah. Mm. Well, you know what? Good. Fuck him. Is he still alive? I think he is. I, I don't. I don't really get he into him all that much. He can still go fuck himself. He probably is, cause he. I'm gonna guess he's probably the same age as Spielberg, or in that range. Okay. So he's in his like. Early and he's 70s got. I'm sure he's got tons of fucking money. So. Well, good. He he and his um, ego can go be very happy yeah. together in his fucking mansion. I agree. Where he gets to die just like the rest of us. And by all accounts, he's still like this thing still follows him around, which I'm like fine. I'm like. There's three people that nothing can follow around anymore because they're yeah. dead because of a decision you made. And apparently um, continued to make if he was still being an asshole during the trial and shit. Like, as you said, that's... Yeah, a, I mean, yeah. it's... Yeah, I mean, that's just probably... He, he, he just is. gets to a point where this yeah. is how he was, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. He would go on to direct Coming to America, released mm-hmm. in 1989 with his friend Eddie Murphy. Landis and Murphy... Got into uh, several. Uh, sorry, hang on. Landis and Murphy got into heated arguments several times during filming, allegedly. And Murphy was quoted as saying after the film was released that Vic Morrow has a better chance of working with him, meaning Landis, again than I do. Oh, which too soon, Eddie. Probably too soon, Eddie. That's. Ah, uh, that I don't like that. I don't like that, Eddie. I didn't love it, but I don't like that. I get what he's saying, but but that's a cheap fucking shot at somebody who suffered a negligent homicide, essentially. So. Well, I think he's using it more of as a, a dig at obviously Atlantis, Atlantis than anything. But he's else. doing it at mm-hmm. Vic Morrow's expense. expense. Yeah, and also like glossing over that there are two children involved. So there's yeah. that. So that dust up happened in 1989. They would collaborate again six years oh later. Oh, my God. For Beverly Hills Cop 3, released in the summer of 1995. Because as long as Eddie Eddie Money... <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. I mean Eddie Murphy. And this is probably why you don't Jeez. fully recognize who John Landis is. And probably a lot of people... This is why a lot of people your age do not. Mm-hmm. So this is the summer of 1995. This would be Landis's last commercial success as a mm-hmm. director. He's never... Not for done anything years. prominent uh-huh. in the last 25 years so that's kind of why and even that was like a sequel of an old oh it was a terrible i it's again movie. i know i saw beverly hills cop uh-huh. 3 i can't what tell you anything about original it beverly hills cop 84 so see that's the thing that's also and why two came out in like 87 his last commercial it was a, success was a stupid sequel plus in the mid movie. plus in the mid 90s eddie murphy's stock was starting to go down it too. was well he was starting so. to turn the nutty professor corner Eddie Murphy he was yeah he, he was like, just uh, he was just making a lot of bad movies where where he started out his career making 
again, a string of hit movies. So and and, <clears throat> and also, can I just say, kind of fuck you, Eddie Murphy, for saying like, first of all, cheap shot, like trying to be funny. I mean, I, <clears throat> and then you go ahead and work for the guy again. Again, anyway. it's, it's, I I could like, never I could never live or exist in this world. Like I just no. I just couldn't. No, like there's no way. No, like when you no, no, no. you literally have like maybe like. Point zero 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 one percent of people in that world that have any sort of integrity whatsoever, and the rest are just fucking also shitheads. I mean, I no, no, thank you. In case I, it, it wouldn't be, it literally would not be worth the money at all. In case I haven't said this recently, money is bad for people. Period. End of story. There is no debate. If you want to be rich, you cannot keep your humanity it's not how it works it's not pretty how it works. it's not not like not like it's never been accomplished but no, don't even it try it has not been accomplished but don't even try i will contend it has never been accomplished I, I would i would probably go along with that you could probably convince me of that never been accomplished you cannot cannot serve god and mammon <laughs> so the former evangelical so Landis would follow up beverly hills cop 3 with the stupids in 1996 i've never seen it I don't. I kind of oh, remember the the books. I read the books. Oh, as was a it kid. a kid? It was based oh, okay. The stupids. Which thinking about it is super problematic. Uh, I don't know. Jeez. I know nothing about it. What I do know is is the following sentence. It was a massive flop. Okay. Attempting a reach at late seventies and early eighties nostalgia. Oh God. Which is a time period that really nobody should be nostalgic for. <laughs> like the. Girl, not, wasn't on Supermarket Sweeper said she loves Saturday Night Fever. It's <laughs> like, so, yeah. Well, that I can kind of understand. But uh, in the late 70s, like early 80s, things were really fucked up in this country. A little bit. And we uh, just... I mean, we never... And we just voted in Ronald Reagan, so things were about to get really fucked up. <laughs> um, so he went on to direct Blues Brothers 2000. Oh, I saw that. that I was never saw it. I remember when it came out, which was released in 1980, 1998. I'm sorry. Yeah. It, oh, the movie. It was, it was called Blues Brothers 2000 and every, released in 1998. Every movie or uh, piece of yes. art or whatever. The if new, it, next millennium. If it came out from like 1995 plus, mm-hmm. you, could, you could slap 2000 on there. Yes, just I for agree. fucking marketing purposes. Yeah. You know? um, so the movie... Starring Dan Aykroyd and... John Goodman. I was just going to say, any guesses? And a kid. Was also a massive flop. My dad and I saw it in the theater. I think it was the cheapy theater because he's I hope a so. massive I hope you didn't Blues pay Brothers full fan. price for that. No. At one point, they become like reanimated monsters or something. I don't know. I have remember. seen the original. I mean, I haven't seen the original in so long. Wait, I so barely Landis remember it. that? He did. Fuck him. Um, fun fact. This version of the Blues Brothers including Jim Belushi, John Belushi's much less talented... That's right, Jim Belushi! Yes, yes, yes. And infamous asshole younger brother... Is he an infamous asshole? Yes, he is. Many stories. Uh, Patton Oswalt's got a good one. Really? Um, So you have the new version, which is... uh, It's really um, Dan Aykroyd and uh, John Goodman, but Jim Belushi pops up here and there. Okay. One place all three of them popped up was the halftime show of Super Bowl Thirty One? I could vaguely with remember James this. Brown. I did. That's why James I, Brown with James Brown. Wait, I'm sorry. The Godfather of Soul is still alive. In that's two, the one. Ninety eight, ninety nine. This would have been ninety. This would have been January ninety seven. Oh my god! The game featured the Brett Favre led Green Bay Packers. 
And the... Brett Favre. Any idea on the Patriots quarterback at that time? Bill Propelfeck. You're almost close, <laughs> but not no really. I clue who came before Tom Brady. So the Brett Favre-led Green Bay Packers took on the Drew Bledsoe-led... Drew New, Bledsoe? New England Patriots, who were also coached uh-huh. at the time by Bill Parcells. Oh, I had the bill right. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> In 2019, established comedy actor and current horror movie aficionado Jordan Peele mm-hmm. created and produced a modern version of the past Twilight Zone epi- of past Twilight Zone that. episodes, as well as original stories for CBS. Adam Scott stars in the most recent yeah. version of Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, and the updated show has been a critical and commercial hit as well. We need to watch that. And that is the story. Of the Twilight Zone, the movie Helicopter Crash. John Landis can go fuck himself. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it, yeah he's pretty terrible. That's awful. Oh, that's... You know what? That's super grisly, too. Yeah. It's super grisly. We don't have many... Desi- I mean... We've had... Nothing's nice. We've had some where you can imagine it being grisly, like a fire. Yeah. Things like that. Suffocation, crowd disasters. But we don't have specific things on a specific person. In this incident, we have a horrific thing happening to two specific people with one of them being a child. Well, and and I'm sure the other poor child who got crushed. Crushed was, was, yeah. The only thing I can hope is that it was, you know... It was. Because in in the video, it... It happens just like that. So, fortunately, yes, I believe it was so quick that they... And, of course, horrible. Well, the worst part, and it always is, is for those left behind, so their families. And I had no idea that Jennifer Jason Lee's dad died like that. That's I didn't horrible. know until I did this research that that was her dad. Wow. I, I had no idea. I thought you were going to say, like, Rob Morrow or something, you know? <laughs> of, uh... <laughs> Northern Exposure. I was going to say the Alaska yeah. show. Yeah, Northern mm-hmm. Exposure. Mm-hmm. And Numbers, or Num Threers. Num Threers. He's in Num Threers. Um, so the same... And, and uh, the Island of Dr. Moreau, apparently, where he <laughs> broke down and cried. He'd yes, got, he'd, that's right, he'd he didn't bro- want to he'd, do it. He'd gotten broken on set so badly, which apparently oh happened to everybody. I don't think oh he was alone God. in that. Um, so regarding safety, uh, so I listened to the Office Ladies podcast because obviously I'm an Office fan, and uh, Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey, who played Pam and Angela on uh, The Office, are in real life best friends. Like they met and became genuine best friends. That's cool. That, yeah. That show. So they do recaps and behind the scenes of stuff. Which episode is fun. By episode. Yeah. Especially if you're a fan of the show. Oh, it's fantastic. And they talked about how. If they had a, if they had a candle lit on set, and I'm not even joking, literally a candle lit on set, they would have to have a formal safety meeting with yeah. all cast and, and crew. probably had a fire inspector there, right? Or and somebody was, from the fire department. And they literally present. had to have somebody say, "Okay, we're going to have a candle on set. Please make sure you remain at least this far." <laughs> I mean, like, sure. There's a whole just to go over the safety of and protocol. obviously that's for like insurance purposes yeah. and but like that's where it is now. Hey, as we saw in The Sopranos, if you're just wearing a uh, a silk a silk robe, sometimes you can just fucking catch fire oh, all of a sudden while yeah, you're while you're cooking that breakfast. <laughs> that was a fucking crazy 
Like when that happened, I was just like, "What the? What is yeah, wrong it with this?" Yeah, kind of came come out of nowhere. Yeah. I was like, "How many people does this guy have to make their lives miserable?" Yeah, right. <laughs> she catches on fire. <laughs> Tony's girlfriend. Yeah. In the most just random, mundane way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's wearing a silk robe, and it gets caught under the burner, mm-hmm. and she fucking yeah it goes up like a fireball, mm-hmm. as you would in the silk robe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, so obviously things are run a lot different so that assholes like John Landis can't get away with that and, stuff uh, anymore. I didn't, Hopefully. I didn't include it in the research, but mm-hmm. I'll just include it now. <clears throat> Steven Spielberg has made one public statement on this in his entire life really? since the incident. What did he say? Um, this is not exact, but sure, he said, he said, paraphrasing. he said something to the effect of since then... Um, uh, cast members and crew members alike have realized um, that they have to speak up when something isn't safe and that it's everybody's responsibility to yell cut when somebody when something is not felt as safe. He, he said after that, actors spoke out more about, well, like, that's, I'm, I'm that's not comfortable with this. That's positive change. Yeah. That's good. That's positive change. Um, it didn't seem like directors or effects producers really did anything different, but it seemed like actors well, were like, uh, "That's yeah, that's I'm a problem so, too." Because not, not so sure about this one. Because I mean, a good leader and a good director should be a good leader is literally watching out for the well-being of everybody under their and, command. And I couldn't help but so think, I'm like, could you imagine? I mean, obviously, it's a movie. It's not. It's not real in the sense of. This isn't really happening to you in terms of what your life arc is, uh-huh. but it's really happening to you that there's a fucking a helicopter, helicopter twenty five yeah. feet above mm-hmm. your head with mm-hmm. fucking explosions going off. Mm-hmm. Like that's just not something people experience on a normal day, life. yeah. Mm-hmm. If fucking ever, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. that's obviously a stunt, mm-hmm. and it's obviously, I'm sure it's kind of scary. I'm sure there's adrenaline I, pumping at least. Absolutely. You know what? The, you know the one thing that seems, and I'm sure especially back then, it was not handled well, but p- subjecting children to that too. Well, yeah. I mean, you're still. Yeah. I mean, because today they could do it all by green screen, and you know, you just can do pretend. all sorts of shit. Yeah. Um, and that's probably how they do it, especially with children now. Kids don't do practical stunts. It's all like. Either little people maybe pretend sure. to be kids, or well, that's what they were. That's what they were saying. Kids. It should have been stuntmen doing the scene, right. and or dummies, right? Like yes, he should have yes, been carrying dummies, uh-huh. not actual mm-hmm. fucking children. But even if it was a controlled environment and everybody and they had good communication, they were doing everything correctly. That still would have been, in my opinion, completely incorrect to be doing with real children yeah. living Fuck yeah. <laughs> breathing children because even if you you can explain to a six-year-old all day this is just pretend whatever it's still but it's not you pretend said, when you're going through it the, yes like like it's still actually happening i look at it i mean it made me think of when i watched uh you know wwf which is now the wwe mm-hmm. but when i watched it for like a three-year span when i was like a like 12 to 15 mm-hmm. yeah the outcome and the storylines and all that shit was fake Mm-hmm. But what would they were actually doing to each other? The stunts were real. Flying mm-hmm. off fucking the top rope and do, that shit was all real. And the like, injuries, this, they just hell were, yeah, they were real. real. That's, yeah. that's the thing is like that this was a stunt, but the deaths were clearly real. Yeah, and that's um, that is irresponsible at the absolute best and negligent at 
Actually, negligent at best. Negligent at best, yeah. Yeah. And and again, this sort of thing probably happened every single day on some set of some movie somewhere, and nothing ever happened Mm -hmm. until this happened. You know, know, I... So, I I obviously... I feel bad for Vic Morrow and his family and everything. I feel the worst for the kids. That's horrible. They should never have been subjected to that. And the adults... All around them should All the adults have, should have been like, even just some random like boom operator should have been like, what the all fuck are we them. doing? Why like, really? Are we letting these kids but, but, around but because, but because John Landis was such an asshole yeah. and was probably like, well, if you don't do it, you're mm-hmm. fired. So there's you know? an abusive environment, oh, most likely. Oh, of course there was. Yeah. You know there was. So, yeah, it's just, it's people being shitty and mm-hmm. irresponsible, mm-hmm. negligent. Yeah. Leading to some somebody's death. Something we've never talked about yeah, right? on this show at all. <laughs> well, only like, only every other episode. As we've said many times, that's the crime we do cover, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Because a lot of times it's people making horrible choices negligence, or selfish choices. Negligence becomes a crime only when something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. You can still be negligent even if it goes right, but you're just never going to get caught. Because, yeah. because mm-hmm. nothing happened. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Negligence becomes negligence when something goes wrong. You know, yeah. As a, as a charge, as a criminal charge, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. God, that was really shitty and depressing. I, I, I didn't know. I guess now that I think of it, it it's more the, sad than I. The story. I mean, I, I loved all the background sure. and everything. That was super. Well, that's why I tried to include as much of that as possible because to, the actual story. The fact that. It's a pretty, child was decapitated yeah. and a child was crushed. The actual story is pretty And gruesome. a guy trying to make his comeback was decapitated because an asshole had to get his precious little shot. Hmm? I mean, oh my God. So many assholes. There are just so many assholes in the world. And a lot of them are in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, it's just a lot of huge egos and like... Mm-hmm. And if that ego gets fed enough, then you, then you just become a fucking unhinged maniac, like our president. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, that's what happens when you get away with the shit over and over and over again. Money is bad for you. Wow. Well. So it's it's your turn. I know that I know it's been a while. I know. It is, I it know. is your turn to wrap no, things up. I know. Up. I know. I um. I will, uh, should I, should I tease our upcoming episodes? Sure, absolutely. So, um, I've been working this on This will them. be 160 and possibly 161 and 162? Potentially, Potentially. 162. Um, so I went deep background on this one. Um, it is going to be a highly historic disaster. Okay. But that will also remove us from it in terms of time. So this is not a super modern disaster. Gotcha. So that might help (laughs) mitigate some of the of this. It is also. mm, I might cut this out if it ends up being a giveaway. It is one of history's mysteries. Oh, I love that show. Until it got really weird. Oh, I history, was just saying history. it because it was no, I know, it but rhymed. It, oh, it was also a, a history channel show, well, okay, History's Mysteries. Yeah. 
No aliens involved that we know of. Well, that's what that show became. Like, every episode became, like, aliens met cowboys. And fucking, it was, after a while, it became <laughs> kind of, yeah, kind of stupid. But, yeah. But there were things like, uh, how did the Romans build aqueducts? You know, things oh, like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty cool. I think it will be very, like, because history is wild. We'll talk about a lot of, like, yeah, that was fucked up sort of stuff. And Truth is stranger than fiction, yeah, as they say. Especially what we'll be covering, and um, and then a lot of interesting speculation. So. Oh, so it's a your favorite speculative. I will be very clear that it's speculation, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so that'll be something to look forward to—a potential multi-part. Well, it's definitely going to. At the very least, it's it's going to be two. At the it least. It's going to be too. All right. Yeah, for sure. Well, I am looking forward to it, as yeah. I'm sure. Our wonderful fan base, which we have to, this being our third podiversary. Yeah, we're recording on our third podiversary. Which we have to uh, thank thank you all immensely for following yeah. us. These, we, when this started three years ago today, we, uh-huh. I had no, uh-huh. I mean, and, we, we just didn't know what was going to happen, but right. I, I certainly wasn't thinking, oh, three years from today, we'll still be making episodes. Right? Yeah. That, that was not crossing my mind at all. And to be clear, um, we know that we don't have thousands upon thousands of downloads do or anything. <laughs> we we get not. that. We're small potatoes. But considering that, like, our first episodes, we got, like, ten listens to and were I, shocked. No, I, I remember the very first day we launched, well, our three episodes combined, I yes. think, had a total of, like, 37 listens. We and were, I and I was like... like that's I, not just our family! I was, like, ecstatic <laughs> about that. I was like, holy Christ, 37 people uh-huh. listened to our stupid podcast. And, and who knows how they found it. I mean, right, we just... Yeah. Put it out there. Yeah. And there are, there are plenty of podcasts, and some of our pod friends started their po- A lot of podcasts actually started the exact same time that we did. Um, so we, we know some friends who, who started at the same time who are commercially and massively much more successful. The, the Dead Meat podcast that I've been uh-huh. uh, well watching on YouTube. It's also mm-hmm. a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but the guy was talking about, yeah, he started in 2016. Uh-huh. And just like in the past year got all these sponsorships and all that and i'm like yeah that's never gonna happen to us no. but like it's cool that it happened for you yeah, you know exactly. i'm like that's i'm like that's why i'm watching it now because somebody's somebody suggested it somewhere along okay. the line uh-huh and i think that that's the most fun part is that we've grown a little and i like that it's smallish yeah. and that you know because like when someone comments on like our facebook group like I know who they are. Right. Like, At this oh, point, yeah, we do. That's, yeah. You know, and that we've we've made um, we've made virtual friends. Yes, with, we have with you guys, and that that's very nice. If you have not yet made our virtual acquaintance, <laughs> please do. Um, and we've gone beyond that with some people too. We've we've made a bond with certain people. Yeah. I feel, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say any names. I don't want to. No, I know. I don't, don't, don't want to leave somebody out. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I will say. But you this. know who you are. I will say this because she wants to hear it, and I know she needs it. <laughs> Abby, we love you. <laughs> we love you. You know Abby. we love you. You know we love you. So, um, but yeah. So yeah. Thanks for listening to. And you know what? <laughs> too, I have to say, even like 
I, I we still get emails from like brand new listeners saying, "Hey, I just discovered your podcast." I know, and they've got this. And part. I'm listening from episode <laughs> one, or people saying, "I just made it through to the latest episode. I started from episode one." I'm like, "What Holy was what was episode shit. one?" <laughs> like I do remember what it was, but right. But, well, know that they were willing to listen I know, to us the whole for that thing. many hours straight. I, I couldn't do it. I, could I would pull my it. fucking hair out. Yes. So you guys for listening. I have to, to live. Us. With, I have to live with me all day. <laughs> I don't want to have to listen to me. Exactly. Basically, our show is like what our life is. I feel like <laughs> I, our probably <laughs> our talking is exactly the same. So, um, but it's also been, I will say, um, just like a really like an experience that not many people get, even in podcasting even in commercially successful podcasting like we have over 160 hours of us talking to each other that minimally. we can listen back to <laughs> yeah, you minimally know? and that i i feel myself that it i mean i've always been fond of you <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope so but I actually feel like... Are, are we going to get divorced uh, on our podcast? <laughs> no. Like, like, like how Val Kilmer's wife divorced him. Oh, Joanne Wally without... Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Announced it on an oh. interview. <laughs> That's right. But um, that, like, recording every week or, you know, for a weekly episode, I feel like it changes... For the better, in my opinion, our own communication, even just in regular life. Sometimes I feel like our conversations are (laughs) could be recorded. Sometimes we're just like snippy snappy and like uh, banter. And (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the snippy and snappy show. (laughs) And it's it's uh, so I don't think a lot of people don't get that actually. Almost nobody gets that. I know. That. It's been fun. Yes. And that we've been able to do it. And part of the reason we've been able to do it is because we've had the privilege of not worrying about what people are thinking of yeah, us. And, and because we enjoy doing it. Well, and we, you know, it is a privilege to be able to not be, to say, hey, we can front, we can do, we can take care of this monetarily. Mm-hmm. We don't need to get sponsors because God knows no one wants to sponsor us. And <laughs> no, probably not. Probably especially not after this episode. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, that's and that comes def- definitely from a place of privilege. So it's uh, the reward part of it is, like I said, I, f- I feel like our um, our relationship has benefited from it. And then also to make friends and yeah. get to know a large number of people that I would say the biggest common factor is they're really cool people. Yeah, absolutely. And with a, with a morbid yeah, who, curiosity. Who, who, we, who we would not have known without this. Exactly. From all over the place. Mm-hmm. From all, all over, over the world. All over the world. Uh-huh. Which is fucking, which is even more weird. I know. I know. And really kick-ass people, too. Yes. From, uh, and not, and not just because we have authors and district attorneys, <laughs> or, sorry, state's attorneys. Sorry, Alex. Um, I think I got that right. Anyway, I always, I always fuck She's up the title. There. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and then just really cool people who are doing cool things with their lives. Absolutely. Um, which and that's what we encourage you to do. Just 
you know, it, just be do a what cool it, person. Right, and just, just be a good person. And do what you feel like doing. Absolutely. Do and 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 that includes if you want to do your own podcast, uh-huh. which several people Absolutely have done since we've mm-hmm. known them through this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we highly encourage you to do that. Yep. A hundred percent. And to let us know if you need some help. Yeah, absolutely. We are still always, always let here. us know. We are still always here. Absolutely. So we love you guys. Yes, we do. You're good people. Yes. So that was a long rant after <laughs> we discussed. Okay. The Twilight Zone, the movie Helicopter Crash. Yes. Did you notice how I didn't need to like shuffle through papers? <laughs> I know, that? but sometimes you use like foreign names and stuff for your disasters. <laughs> and I'm just like, what was that called? This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm Rachel. And I'm David. We'll see you next week.